Okay, so um, if you want the questions, I printed them off. They're out uh, on the tables. Um, you probably would desire to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a blue one out there. And uh, if you do grab a blue Bible, just leave it in the seat in front of you. Um, what else? If you grabbed a book, they're $15, um, so please just put the $15 in the uh, envelope. If you don't have $15 right now, you can, um, you can pay next week. If there are, how many books are left? Like three? Zero. Okay. It was the envelope right by the books that said books, $15. Yeah. Um, so I w if we'll see kind of at the end of people, how many books people want, and then I'll order more versus, um, versus just ordering a bunch, which I've done before, and then had a bunch of leftovers. And so um, I'm trying to... do everything here. Okay, yeah, we're good. We're live. We're live. So if you miss uh, and you want to catch up, you can certainly always catch it on the podcast and the audio side. Uh, if you want to catch the video, you can do that as well. Um, what I'm going to try and do is uh, post the questions as we go for those people that are watching online. Um, but we'll get into that here in a little bit. I know we started. I know we started it slightly early, which is very not like me. But so let's open with a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll kind of talk through some initial things and uh, how the class is going to go, and so on and so forth. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come uh, to you this this evening, tonight, this night, and we just. Thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together in this place, and we thank you for air conditioning and for the ability to feel refreshed from coming in from the warmth of outside, and we just pray that we would, in the same way, feel the movement of your Spirit among us, and that we would feel the refreshment of your Spirit in our lives and through our interactions with one another. And so we just ask that you would be with this time, not only tonight, but moving forward into this uh, next month as we engage and try to grasp and understand uh, who you are and what are the implications for who you are and how we understand you and engage with you and engage with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, for those of you who have never been to a Wednesday night class in the summer, uh, Welcome. I just somebody somebody commented and they said the audio online is really poor, but I can't really go back there and there's no one back there. So Sarah, I'm sorry that you can't hear us as well. I will try to speak up. Um, Wednesday nights in the summertime are a little different. Um, certainly, when I do them, I like to have a little bit of free flowing ness to it. Uh, so what we will do is. We will uh, talk through some things, and then we will have a question, and you will get into groups of three to five. So, I know 
in the summertime, it's hard to count because sometimes I'll see two and sometimes I'll see six, three to five. Uh, and as I say, every, every time, if you happen to, you're probably sitting by someone, you're like, um, I need to go get something for my car. Uh, if you sit by somebody tonight that you don't really enjoy, that's okay. Just sit someplace else next week. If they come and sit by you and you're sitting in a different place, then you know that they actually like you. And so you can say, Lord, why does this person want to talk to me? Um, and there's probably a reason for that. So uh, that's kind of how we'll do that. Like I said, I printed questions off. They're out there. They'll also be on the screens up top um, as we go, and then I will post them um, into the chat online. If you came in and didn't find one of these books, um, that's because they're already spoken for. If you would like one of these books, um, The Trinity, An Introduction, um, I would be happy to order more. Um, I'll just take a little survey at the end and we can um, get them ordered for next week. It is, um, it's a great little primer on the Trinity. It's very um, approachable. Trust me on that. It's very approachable. If Derek said it was approachable, I would say, hmm. But you know me. It's approachable. So I would encourage you, if you want to have a book in your quiver of books at home on the Trinity, great uh, resource to have. Are the questions gone? We've, we did not print off. We did not kill enough trees. I underestimated those who desired questions. We've been printing off questions all year during Wednesday nights, and all the time we had these extras, but I look at all these faces that weren't here on Wednesday nights, and now I know you desire to hold the questions in your hands. Um, so I'll print more next week. So what is kind of uh, going to be the format? So tonight, uh, the, the idea here is um, we're going to deal with some lighter topics and then we're going to deal with some harder topics and then we'll deal with some lighter topics that way as we're going through the weeds uh, that we will be going through um, if you feel like wow this is really heavy hold on because it's going to hopefully lighten up and if you feel like wow this seems really basic um, hold on because it could get heavier yeah um, as we go, if there's things that I say um, that you don't understand, uh, feel free to please raise your hand um, or shout aloud from the back or from wherever you're at, um, because certainly you're not the only one who is uh, maybe thinking that question. So the overall format for the, uh, for the next five weeks is tonight we're going to talk about uh, kind of God proper um, and getting into how do we understand God the Father. Uh, the next week, we're going to talk God the Father, and then talking about getting into a little bit um, of Jesus, God the Jesus, which is <laughs> sounds hilarious. Um, and then we will kind of fuse those things uh, together as we go then into Jesus, uh, one full night of Jesus, and then... Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and then one full night of the Holy Spirit. So, hopefully that will um, be helpful to you. Like I said, along the way, uh, we're going to be dealing with some different things. Um, so if, uh, if you're really not uh, vibing with what's going on, trust me, um, you might 
hopefully you'll, we'll get to a spot that, that you enjoy more. Any initial questions? Okay. Um, so tonight, one of the main things we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, God in the Bible. Thank you for the random people that laughed. No, we're going to talk about God uh, and, and the, in particular, the fatherly nature, God proper in the Old Testament, and then the Father um, in the Old Testament. And so then as we go in next week, and we're talking about the Father's relationship to the Son in the New Testament, obviously we'll go more New Testament next week. So if you walk away tonight thinking, wow, we didn't really talk about the New Testament, uh, we're going to talk about that next week. So, have you ever tried to um, capture a greased pig? No? Um, so, back, I didn't go to Brainerd High School, but one of the Brainerd High School things back in the day was during homecoming, they would capture, they would take a greased pig, and they would put the greased pig in the courtyard. Anybody at, that went, attended Brainerd High School went for one of the, some of these festivities? And so then during homecoming week, it would be like, who could catch the greased pig? Well, naturally, who thought they could catch the greased pig? Not only men, boys, but the big burly football players thought they could catch the greased pig. And inevitably, who would catch the greased pig? I don't know if it was necessarily a girl, but it was certainly somebody who had experience with said pigs. Uh, somebody from the farm would be able to catch the grease pig. Um, sometimes as we talk through the Trinity, it feels a little bit like we're um, trying to catch this greased pig um, because we acknowledge that what we're doing, the pursuit that we are engaging with, is extremely challenging, basically impossible for us to rationally comprehend who God is, uh, and how he relates to us. And so we just acknowledge that right out of the gate. Um, so if at times you feel like we are chasing the wind, um, we are, that's exactly what we are doing. So the other thing, what are we doing here? Um, well, what we're doing here is we're participating in an act of corporate worship. No, there won't be any singing unless you feel like it, and then just spontaneously feel free to bust out into uh, song. But we are seeking to worship God through uh, understanding Scripture and understanding who He is and engaging communally with one another. So this pursuit of the Trinity is not an academic pursuit. It is a pursuit of worship. So keep that at the forefront of your minds. Why are we doing it here? Well, um, if you've ever been to uh, more than one wedding, you've probably read or heard 1 Corinthians 13. Oftentimes, uh, the misquoted or unquoted part of 1 Corinthians 13 is actually the first part. And Paul is speaking in, um, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and he's talking, uh, writing to the Corinthian church about how they are functioning with one another and what God is doing with them. And he's, talking, he's going to be talking about prophecy, and in the middle of that sandwich, he says this. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not loved, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith 
so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So if we walk out of here in five weeks, and we have a robust understanding of a, of a sound Trinitarian doctrine, and it doesn't actually do anything for us. We have simply wasted five weeks of what apparently is going to be a pretty warm summer. <laughs> so if out of this we don't uh, come to realize the importance of why we're doing what we're doing and the impact of understanding who God is in a Trinitarian fashion and take that and apply it in our relationships and in how we live out our life, Let's all go play basketball in the gym. I'd say pickleball, but there's far more of us that could play basketball. And you know, pickleball is very dangerous and people lose limbs doing it. Or at least so I've been told. I played lots of pickleball and never been injured to this point. So that's what we are doing here. That's why we are here. So the hope is that as we go through this, it won't just be this cognitive exercise, even though uh, Richard Foster talks about the pursuit of knowledge as a spiritual discipline, but it will actually have a realistic effect on our lives. If you flip to Matthew chapter uh, 11, we're going to be going uh, through a few different verses tonight, as I mentioned, uh, both in the Old and New Testament. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 We see this. Jesus is saying, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him, or to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, as we talked about in the primer to this class back in May, we are able to know who God is because God chooses to reveal himself to us through the Son, Jesus, who is also God. So we see this relationship of the Father and the Son, and we're gonna, that'll be uh, next week, second half of next week. But we up front recognize we could not know any of these things without God choosing to reveal them to us. As I quoted back then, and we'll quote again, Karl Barth, the great uh, theologian, says, God reveals himself. He reveals himself through himself. He reveals himself. And many of you think, okay, yes. But at times, we often miss that. So what we understand of who God is, is a gift from God. And if he did not choose to reveal it to us, we would not know it. And so we come to this uh, pursuit in a place of humility, in a place of openness, in a place of receptivity, to acknowledging we only know what we know by God's choice to reveal himself to us.
Questions on that? Some of you are like, yeah, we're in the weeds already, 15 minutes in. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes. So, question being, uh, how does Peter know that Jesus is the Christ? Great question. Clearly, God has chosen to open his eyes through the power of the Spirit, and he is able to see Jesus for who he is. The larger question is, why is Jesus telling him to stop talking? If Jesus comes to reveal himself to humanity, why is he limiting Peter uh, in making that proclamation? And, and we can maybe get into some of that when we uh, get into Christology in uh, a week or so. All right, so first question that I want us to discuss in our groups of three to five, those of you who, who weren't here, groups of three to five, which means no more than five and no less than three, okay? If you choose to move around, you can certainly move around, move your chairs, however that works. Um, the question is, and I'm going to put it up on the screen for those of you who don't have papers because I didn't print enough papers because I underestimated those who would be here. What is one difficulty that you have with the Trinity. What is one difficulty you have with the Trinity? Small question. Uh, another small question. What is one question you hope to have answered or clarified by July 1st? Take that as you wish. And how long has this been a question for you? So get together in your little groups, your new friends, introduce yourselves. I'll give you guys about... Uh, seven to ten minutes to discuss, and then we'll come back uh, together. So three to five people. I'll put the question on the screen. Ready, go.
All right, we're having all sorts of technical difficulties. Be glad you didn't stay at home. You guys need questions? Who are the, uh, the few, the proud, the brave that would uh, want to share some thoughts? We've, we've completely disbanded from the internet. I think it'll be a better class now. <laughs> Any group want to share some thoughts? Help guide us and direct us moving forward? Yes, thank you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. That's a great question that uh, certainly is something that we will... Uh, we will. You've got to come back. We're just laying our cards out on the table. You know, it's like when you're going to bake, you lay out all your recipes before you're going to bake, and you're like, oh, it's going to be delicious once I get done making these other things. We can't just jump ahead to the dessert. We could. You are right. Yeah, part of what we're going to talk about, uh, which we teased uh, a few weeks ago, is this concept of the imminent trinity versus the economic trinity and how, how do we understand the function of each uh, person of the trinity. So what is the role of, of the Spirit? That is a great question. Yes? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the God, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is that the Father? Is that a combination? Or in the Old Testament, how does the Trinity function? That is a great question. How does the Trinity function in the Old Testament? That's part of what we're going to lay out tonight. So uh, within this idea of God proper, um, and then. Where do we see Trinitarian glimpses throughout both the Old and the New Testament? Uh, Because, spoiler alert, there is a lot more fatherly reference, God the Father reference in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. Right. And And by just God... We mean a whole slew of Hebrew names that we're going to, that's the first thing, uh, one of the first things that we're going to talk about. Yeah, so um, are we talking, in essence, about three distinct functional categories? 
or are we talking about an interrelationality between all three persons of the Trinity? That's the question? Yes, we will. We, yeah, you got to do this. <laughs> or isn't it like knit one, pearl two? How does that work where we knit them all together? See, I did macrame where you had a side, a middle, and a side, and so as you worked the three together, they became one, but they were still three. And if you only did one side, it would spin. Yes. Okay, specifically, how does the role, how does the Holy Spirit function in prayer? Yes. Okay, I'm going I'm to write that down so we, uh, once we get there, because um, we got a lot, of, a, lot to get to, a lot to get to before we get there. Other questions? Things that stuck out so we can, because then we'll just shape things to that direction. So how do we understand the relationality again between uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, uh, which we'll continue to speak through? We the thing that we have to the thing that we have to constantly be reminding ourselves is they are God. So. Um, on the risk of being very controversial, God's preferred pronoun is they, them. Okay? And if that was offensive to you, I guess I'm not really sorry because that's how it is. Because when we think in terms of singularity is when we, we really trifurcate, not bifurcate, but we trifurcate and we say, okay, uh, I'm talking to God the Father over here, and I'm praying to Jesus, uh, God, the Jesus over here, and God the Holy Spirit will talk to you later. But when, when God is working, they are working together. And that's what we're going to uh, continue to, to try to understand and try to wrap our minds around one of the biggest things, one of the biggest challenges is when we talk about God, we have no other way but to use human terms. And so it's this idea of anthropomorphizing or making God with human terms. And that's where we have all of these problems. Because how can you be father and son and spirit? We actually understand God as spirit far easier than we understand God as both father and son. And when we say God is father and Jesus is God as son, you pointed out very astutely, we imply a, a specific subordination. But that's our problem, that's not God's problem. Because there's no subordinationism uh, within the Trinity, as in Jesus is less than the Father. I mean, yeah, that's what I meant. 
So Derek is my fact checker. So if I say anything that's off, he's going to tell me tomorrow, like you said that thing wrong, and then we'll come back and we'll fix it. That's why I turned off the live. I, I hacked the live stream, shut it down so that I couldn't be held accountable. Yes. Yes. Right. That therein lies the confusion. Part of it is uh it, it is not only a Hebraic to English translation problem. Uh, the Trinity is one of the largest stumbling blocks to not only Muslims, but Jews coming to faith in Christ. Because how do you tell me that God can be three in one? You are tritheistic and worshiping three gods separate. So how can you say three and one is is one. And so is it a common core math problem? Or is it just a, a human brain problem? And that's, that's uh, part of what we're going try to try to work through and understand. Um, so, we were talking about subordinationism, right, over there. And chances are I will do a terrible job and not really answer the question, but just, you know, it's like you, you ever drop something in the lake, like your glasses, and they're just like right there, and you go to grab them, and you stir up the bottom, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> where'd they go? They were right there. All you did was muddied up the water, and I still don't have my glasses. <laughs> so. Um. Another thing that we have to be cognizant of or be aware of as we talk through this is what are the influences and sources that we're using to come to the position that we find ourselves in today? So how do we remain true to the text of Scripture uh, and yet uh, understand not only philosophical influences, but also cultural influences, cultural influences from the early church up to where we find ourselves uh, in the place that we are uh, currently culturally located. So Alistair McGrath lays out four uh, different sources for developing theology, scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. So scripture, reason, tradition, and experience— and we have to ask ourselves, which one of those do we see as primary? And how do we rate um, the influence of each of those things? So, uh, for example, if I experience God in a particular way, how does that inform my theologizing when I encounter uh, a rational understanding of how the world functions. So does reason supersede my experience, or does my experience supersede reason? And what do I do when I encounter Scripture that is different than my experience of who God is? 
So uh, prayer is a classic example of this. You know, we affirm that God answers prayer. If you pray these things in my name, they will happen. And we read that in Scripture, and then we pray something, and it doesn't happen in the way that we want it to happen. So I have Scripture telling me one thing, and I have an experience telling me something different. What is going to be my primary source for how my theology is developed out of this experience? Yes. I would hope it does, yes. (laughs) But we also can recognize... um, Post-enlightenment, reason has, has crept its way to the top for many people. Um, and so when we talk in terms of the Trinity, uh, my, my lane is in Christian thought and philosophical underpinnings, and I just acknowledge that. And so when I talk about who God is, Am I talking in a philosophical, rational way first and taking that and applying it to Scripture so that the philosophy is actually informing the Scripture? Classic example. Uh, you know, it's, it is the cl- one of the classic philosophical debates. God is omnipotent. Okay, we, we can acknowledge that. I think we could all say that God is all-powerful. Let me rephrase that. By philosophical definition, if God is God, God is all-powerful. So, when we see something in Scripture that God, in essence, doesn't do, is it because he's not omnipotent? Or is it because he's choosing to self-limit? Yes. Great question. And so that's part of what we're going to try and understand is how much of how we view God is influenced by outside sources and how much of it is influenced by Scripture. Another great example. Does God feel? Does God have feelings? You want to affirm that. But if God doesn't change, then God doesn't... He is constant. And to us, feelings are ever-changing. So does God not change? Or does God change in a way that we can't understand? And I, I'm aware. We have gone so deep into the weeds here. Many of you are like, I wish I was watching this at home because at least I could have just said, well, it broke, so I guess I get to go do something else. <laughs> so these are some of the things that we're going to um, get into. Uh, which brings up a great, great point. So let's look... Uh, Let's look at what do we mean by this, or where do we find this idea of oneness around who God is. 
So certainly we have to start at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, the Shema. Now, we're not giving an exhaustive list. We're certainly hitting some highlights. So Moses is writing the book of Deuteronomy, and he's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So the singularity of who God is is essential from the very get-go. Now, if we flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we see Paul's uh, writing around this same concept. And uh, somebody, after we did this preview, uh, somebody said, it seems like you're cherry-picking verses out of context. Shouldn't we be going through the context? Uh, if we had the time, we would. Um, I wouldn't choose singular verses to cherry pick because um, if you know me at all, I, it's, ugh, it's one of my pet peeves. So, so if we start in verse 4 of chapter 8, as Paul's writing to the Corinthian church about how they are engaging, um, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. This is a nod to the Shema. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all are all things and through whom we exist. So even Paul, in his writing, declares the singularity of who God is, the oneness, and the distinctness of the Father and the Son and the roles that they play. So if we flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, another Pauline text, you can see some consistent... Paul is a very consistent uh, Trinitarian uh, writer in, in what he has to say. So here he's talking about the church uh, and the importance of the body of Christ. He says there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here again we see the oneness around who God is and how we are to function. One thing we're going to get into um, probably next week is when we talk about being created in the image of God, our Trinitarian understanding affects how we view 
us as created in the image of God. And Paul is alluding to that here in talking about we have one body, we are to be Christ's one body, the church, and so we're going to kind of parse out some of what it means uh, to understand our humanity in a Trinitarian uh, viewpoint. So, uh, Revelation chapter 4, some of you are going to have nightmares as we flip to this book, from all the time we spent here. Here it gets into the immutability of God, Revelation 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So the declaration that that God has always been and will always be the same. And so that is a very important thing that, that God does not change. Now, there's, we could have a discussion about process thought, which I don't buy into, uh, in, in that God does change. Uh, certainly, that doesn't seem to be the case here. So, talking about oneness, singularity, and the consistency of who God is throughout time, question uh, three, skip over question two because of time's sake. Um, Question three, how does the truth that God does not change inform your faith? How does it affect your view of God and relationship to Him? So how does it affect your view of God and your relationship to Him? Anybody need questions? I printed off more. Don't be shy. Just one? See, look at all these trees I killed. Okay. So I'll give you guys about 10 minutes uh, to discuss that with your newly formed groups. All right. I'm getting excited. All the brain cells that are being used. Yeah, right. Good thing we got the AC cranking. Yeah. What I would say is um, to shamelessly rip off Dale Carnegie, if all we're trying to do is win arguments and influence strangers... Uh, in this pursuit, again, let, let's just do something else because uh, it really doesn't, that's not, that's not what we're here for. 
So at the end of the day, what we, again, I will uh, probably restate this every time. We are here to worship God in, in the mystery of who he is. And so hopefully we can do that and be stretched um, by that. So, um, Thoughts or comments or questions that came out of um, your discussion? Yes. Will we discuss the different types? Say more. Yes. Um, I don't, it's not really on the docket at this point, but it certainly is fascinating to, to discuss. Yeah. Was he so if was he playing a game? <laughs> you know, uh, following up on that, when we talk about the omniscience of God, meaning the all knowingness of God, which is kind of what Russ you were talking about with the the will of God, I was struck because um, I was listening to Genesis this morning, and there's a few things that stuck out to me, uh, and one of them. What does, after Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and they uh, discover, realize that they're naked, what does God say? He says, where are you? You are God for your sake. How do you not know where they're at? I literally thought that. In my, I was like, wait, what? And I understand we can talk about narrative and all that, which we were talking about. We had this fascinating conversation earlier in the office. Um, but it's those types of things you're like, wait, what? <laughs> what just happened? Um, yes. Well, no. He can see us very well. I'm sorry. Poof. Gone. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, um, we'll spend a lot of time here, or a big chunk of time, because a lot of these uh, names occur first in, in the book of Genesis. Um, words, 
or names uh, for God. You know, within the Hebrew language or the Hebrew scriptures, uh, there's there's all sorts of uh, names or titles uh, for God. So we see right out of the gate in Genesis uh, chapter two, verse four. Um, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So right here, we see the name in Hebrew Scripture for God, which isn't even a name. It's just four consonants. (laughs) Uh, Yahweh, which means the Lord. So oftentimes in, in Scripture, in our Old Testament, when you see Lord all caps, they are choosing to place that for the word Yahweh, which would have been written in uh, the Hebrew Scripture, which even that they didn't like to write, you know, that whole story. Uh, So that title for God appears 6,519 times for you uh, Bible Baffle players at home. So the next uh, name for God appears in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Now, we get a lot of L's because of how uh, the Hebrew language translates uh, God. So this is El Elyon, the God, the Most High God. In Genesis 14, 18. And Melchizedek, hello Hebrews, get excited about that. King of uh, Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. He was priest of God Most High. Remember this one, because it's going to come back in Hebrews. You'll be like, where does Melchizedek occur? Genesis 14:18 El Elyon Genesis 15 chapter 2 uh, we see another name for God Adonai which means lord or master but Abram said O lord God what will you give me for I continue uh, childless and the heir of my house in Eleazar of Damascus so this O lord God looks a lot like what we got earlier, but this is a different word for God, which means master. So we see the reference to God not only as the Most High, but also as to Abram's master. Then skip ahead two chapters, 17.1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. So the Lord Almighty is El Shaddai. So we get Yahweh, we get Lord, and we get uh, this other name for God, El Shaddai in 17.1. Flip ahead to Genesis 22.14. So Abraham 
called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So here we get another word for God, Jehovah, and we see a lot of different Jehovahs followed by uh, another word, Jehovah Jireh, which means God will provide, which uh, Elevation Worship, Maverick City has a new album, and uh, one of the songs that is just blowing my mind is Gyra. Look it up. It's great. It's going to make you uncomfortable because it's nine minutes long, and you're like, no song should be this long. (laughs) How are we ever going to sing that on a Sunday morning? Uh, so the next Jehovah is in Exodus uh, chapter 15, 26. 15, 26. Saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the disease on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So here we get Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord is healer. So isn't it fascinating? There's no... Yes? Uh, This is Jehovah Rapha. So if you see the Lord... So the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Septuagint almost always translates Yahweh to Lord, all caps. Because they translate Yahweh to Kyrios, which if you remember back to Philippians, Kyrios in Greek means Lord. And they do it in all caps to differentiate it so that if you see Lord capital L, lowercase o-r-d, it means it's a different word than Lord, all caps, standing by itself. Well, that is uh, correct. There is no J. I haven't taken Hebrew in a, in a minute. Derek, help me out here. What he said? So, I... Honestly, I have no idea because, again, we're trolling, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds, <laughs> and so I didn't go that far into what I wanted. To, what I'm trying to do is get us to see the scope of the Hebrew understanding of who God was in the Old Testament. Is that helpful? And we can get into the weeds, and I'm more than happy to pull out the old. Hebrew text, and literally look at these verses? I didn't do that. (laughs) I just learned Hebrew in 
speaking Hebrew. Uh, which is a whole other story, which is funny all in itself. Um, so Minnesota's favorite uh, Jehovah is in Psalm 23, which I don't think we really need to, to go there, but we can. Okay. Um, thoughts or comments uh, from that little brief discussion or questions? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think there's great, uh, there's great theological things that exist in, uh, in our music, and certainly that is a common critique of modern worship music that it lacks some theological depth. Um, so maybe that would be kind of a fun, fun uh, class on the theology of, of certain music. Like we could just do a whole class on the theology of U2. Oh, there aren't, those aren't hymns. Excuse me? He does. Yes, he does call his friend. So it's theologically accurate. What we do with it is the problem. <laughs> so it's, it's true. However, you know, how much of this, you know, when we took, look at the history of Trinitarian doctrine, it becomes like most everything else. You know, we have a, a position over here that we have problems with, and so we swing the pendulum so far this way to, as a correction and you know we just swerve all over the road because we're trying constantly trying to correct you know what we see as an error i mean the whole concept of process theology is a correction around the problem of evil it's like 
I, ha I have uh, a ding in my windshield, therefore I need to buy a new vehicle. <laughs> like, no, probably not. Um, so, yeah, how, how much of that hymn, and, and I'm, I'm just speculating, is a reaction to the transcendent view of God and we want to make the imminence of God, overemphasize the imminence of God through a hymn like that. And it's, it's biblically based. And, and so then how much of our overemphasis of the imminence of God has affected our view of the transcendence of God? And it just becomes this roller coaster of... Which, that's why seminaries continue to exist and people continue to write PhDs, right, Derek? It's true. Yeah, it's, it's back and forth, and that, it, that, that's, that's, that's okay. So, maybe you and Russ should be in a group next week, Jeff. Yeah, I know, but, oh, so that's why you sat, that's why you sat there? I get it. But he did bring treats. Yeah, but he found me over here. Okay. Uh, other thoughts or questions? Yes. Yes. Yeah, certainly don't hear me wrong that the allusion to God being Father is very present in the Old Testament. There just aren't direct references like there are, I mean, all over the New Testament. And when Jesus starts saying, I and the Father are one, and then it just becomes this cascade. Um, so I'm going to close with, uh, I missed Mary Beth on the, on the question, so I'm just triple checking, no questions. Um, I'm going to close with Psalm 135 and then uh, prayer. So next week we're really going to continue to talk about Father in the New Testament and then also um, in particular Father-Son relationships, which will hopefully be a nice bridge uh, into a one night um, of intense Christology. Yes. Is that why you wore your orange shirt too? Yes. Yeah. I would expect nothing less. Yeah. Alumni spirit. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, 
Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings from the rain for the rain, and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Father God, we recognize that you are the one true God, and you are the Lord. And we acknowledge the supremacy of who you are, not only in this world, but also in our lives. And we thank you that you chose to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, through your Word, and that you have chosen to grant us the opportunity to know you, to love you, to be in relationship with you. And we pray that we would honor you through our lives and that everything that we do would flow out of our relationship with you and our understanding of who you are. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, thanks for coming. Eat those uh, brownies.